0: Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. This is a special two-part series of Beneath the Wing, Voices from DC. We'll be sharing the stories of four of our Minnesota National Guard members who dropped everything and flew out to DC to support the peaceful transfer of power through the inauguration of President Biden. In between my interviews with my guests, you'll hear some other stories of the experience of being there for this huge undertaking. With the inauguration on the 20th of January, I showed up on the 15th in the evening as a part of the advance team, all Minnesota Army National Guard, three of them, and the sole blue suitor to speak the language of air. That's me. We landed late and went to the DC Armory to improcess together, meet the leadership of our part of the mission, and then we settled into a hotel someplace in Maryland outside the city. The D.C. Armory is a huge arena that had turned into a reception and briefing center, staging area, and food service distribution. Even the USO showed up with some creature comforts and snacks. The next morning, we'd return to learn a little bit more, eat lunch, and then start meeting the rest of the Minnesota folks getting flown in on the 133rd Airlift Wing's C-130s. All that mission was being accomplished at Andrews Air Force Base, just outside of D.C., One member of our team was Major Tommy Miller. He was our operations officer, which meant he'd be leading the work of over 700 Minnesota Guardsmen and women who were to show up over the following days. This was his first joint operation of this scale. And to say he was up to the task was an understatement. Major Miller craves the structure of a military operation. And he was in charge of getting that structure put into place. We got a chance to reflect on the totality of what had been accomplished first on Beneath the Wing. Voices from DC. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this edition of Beneath the Wing. It is Saturday, January 23rd of 2021. I am sitting in an aircraft hangar at Andrews Air Force Base and I'm here with the rest of the 133rd and one special guest Um, and we are on our way back from supporting the inauguration of our new president. So sitting with me now is Major Tommy Miller of the Minnesota Army National Guard and I have to say Major this is my first army person we've had on the podcast.
1: This is my first Air Force podcast.
0: Try to be nice to me, okay?
1: You do the same, please. We'll
0: do. All right. So Major Miller had a great uh, opportunity in this. He came with me early to get things set up for the Minnesota crew that was coming. Minnesota brought 741 soldiers and airmen to this, and the guy sitting across from me was in charge of all the operations for them, and then suddenly realized that that number was gonna get increased by about 1,000, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think we ended at uh, 1576, somewhere in there.
0: And was this your first joint operation where you're working with Army and Air?
1: Uh, yep. I have ridden in airplanes before. And that's about as far as it's gotten.
0: Well, and here we are. And here we are. An an airman and a soldier sitting down and talking, which it's been good. What did you learn about working with the Air Force?
1: Boy, I learned a lot. Like, I I honestly can't tell you how much I learned about working with the Air Force. And, like, I'm the type of guy that I'm going to probably take this next week and really think back about our time together and uh, reflect on it and and really hammer down my, my major learning points. I think uh, one of the biggest things I learned that I think will stick with me forever, um, and I I literally mean that, about the uh, shared vernacular.
0: How we talk? How
1: we talk, yeah. Uh You know, I mean, I can have complete conversations with nothing but acronyms. And another Army guy will completely understand what I'm saying. And then, you know, we, uh, we pitched an op order the first night.
0: An op-, well, we, an op order. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yep, there we go. Okay. An operations order, okay. or our plan. It's uh,
0: basically a big, long piece of paper that tells people what to do. Well,
1: it's multiple. Like, every piece of paper is 8.5 by 11, so it's multiple pieces of paper. So a lot of pieces of
0: paper telling yep, people what to five do. Five
1: paragraphs, um, it's in, and it's an Army standard. It's something that they beat us in, beat into us in OCS, in all of our officer training, all of that kind of stuff. And... You know, I, I started to go and I, I looked up, and there was a lieutenant colonel from uh, um, the Illinois National Guard SF. That Security forces. Security forces. Yep. And I looked up, and we met eyes when I was halfway through uh, the scheme of or the concept of the operations, which is a very important paragraph in the Army world. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was blank. Like, he, I, we locked eyes, and I knew that he was not picking up anything I was saying. I'm thinking, oh, man. And then afterwards, you pulled me aside and uh, uh, very gently let me know that you guys don't speak the same as we do. And in a joint operation, like, we need to use a shared uh, vernacular. And so I I really tried to try to uh, improve upon that in, you know, further correspondence.
0: Yeah, having common language and getting everybody to a point where at least we understand each other and we understand how to communicate was, like, first thing to learn right
1: yeah right
0: and sometimes that's just tough but there's yeah. cultural things that are different between the army and the air sure are and that's been fun for me yeah. especially working in the our operations center uh just kind of managing the whole yeah side of what our task force did um but enjoying the different cultures that the army has and the air yeah. force has and and learning a little bit from each other yeah so uh what's the biggest cultural thing gap that we have do you
1: think well so and i won't say that this is a blanket across the army but the group of soldiers that we brought down here to work in the c2 node That's or in command the command and control, and control node yeah. um uh we are pedal to the metal go like there's there's no stop for us like we are used to the 18 20 hour days go catch us a couple hours get back up do it again and and just keep going um, so it might not be the same way across the entire army. In fact I know it's not. But there was a there was a gap in that. You know? Um you know, there was a couple times and, and it wasn't anybody's fault. There wasn't bad on anybody that we looked around and all of a sudden there were only four of us sitting in the the command post, like pounding away on something. And, you know, the air the air force folks were, you know, off in their beds and, and that's fine. Um but it's just, it's, it's some of those things that, like, we are we are go, 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 we, go, go. We do need
0: our 12 hours of sleep a night in the Air Force.
1: <laughs> crew rest, right? <laughs> Beauty it's, sleep, it's important. crew
0: rest, sure.
1: You know, but also, um, you know, it came down to the packing list. You know, we got a packing list that I pulled off of uh, the Joint Task Force DC's website. And on it, it said, you know, minimize civilian clothes. Like, don't reach out to civilians when you're here. You know, like you play soldier or airman while you're here at the end, you know, and talking to you and some other airmen, like you guys brought civilian clothes. Like I brought sweatpants to wear in my hotel room.
0: I had two changes of civilian clothes with two different (laughs) pairs of civilian shoes.
1: Just two pairs of shoes? I
0: did, yeah. You know, you got to have loafers. Sure. And then maybe some tennis shoes if you're going to be doing a lot of walking and sightseeing where you're at.
1: Makes sense. Makes Doesn't sense. it though? It does. It does.
0: Some people call them PT or running shoes, but they're just comfortable walking shoes for me.
1: <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. It works for me. You bet. <laughs> but no, there's there's some fun some fun things. And again, like it's nothing, it's nothing bad. Like I have uh, a very very high level of respect for what you guys do, and the differences between what you guys do and what we do. I just think it's super cool when we come together like this and and see these. See these differences, and even poke fun at each other for yeah. it.
0: Yeah, it was it was great because uh, the sergeant major and our commander and I got out to visit with a group from Illinois, and soldiers and airmen all in the park on kind of a standby crew, and they just they integrated. You know, yeah. we know what the job is. It's in the op board. Yeah, <clears throat> we take the time order. to yes, thank you. If they if they take time to to read it. Maybe they'll understand it, but they talk to each other and say, hey, what are we really supposed to be doing? And yeah, they, there they were. And sitting in a civilian park with dogs chasing uh, balls and, and kids walking around playing on equipment and a bunch of soldiers and airmen hanging out in Washington, D.C. to, yeah. to keep that capital city safe, the the sense from the civilian people was really very, very thankful. Yeah. So did you get that feeling?
1: I did. I So I've done... This is my sixth state active duty thing I've done, I think. And every time, it's the best mission I've ever done. Like, deployed a couple times, gone to NTC, which is the National Training Center. It's a, um, you know, it's an all-out 14-day laser tag war. We bring our tanks and our armored vehicles and stuff like that. Super cool. Like Sounds dirty. Very dirty. Uh, yeah, 21 days, no shower in, in the Mojave Desert. It's fine.
0: Is there a hotel nearby?
1: No hotels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But like these, these type of missions are so much fun because the people are so grateful, and that's why we joined. That's why we're in the guard, mm-hmm. as opposed to active duty, right? Because we want to serve our community, and this is actually like it's it's measurable, it's impactful.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, this has really been a great experience where it, it's really been a coming together of the entire country because every single state in the union and territory was a part of this big task yeah. force of the guard coming together.
1: I mean we we've talked like the and I don't want to get political but politicians have talked about unity like this is it mm-hmm. you know they have they've had 20 what they say 22,000 22,000 guardsmen
0: we had about 25,000
1: 25,000 guardsmen yep. here from all 54 states and territories like yeah. this is this is unity it's, it's super cool to see suit like touching cool to see
0: yeah and the and the cool thing about the guard is everybody puts on a uniform and the the political differences melt away into a common purpose that's shared right. by everybody that's here. And it was protecting the Constitution at its very finest yeah. in
1: this mission. That's been great. hundred percent. Is
0: that why you volunteered to come out here? Or were you voluntold?
1: Uh, I was voluntold. Okay. Um, but I wanted to come. I wanted to come. This is a historic, historic thing. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's messaged enough how amazing this is that you know in uh six days you know all these people spun up and got ready to go and came down here to do their job um you know this is the biggest thing the guard maybe has ever done Mm -hmm. you know yeah and to be a part of it like is is humbling it's humbling
0: so being part of the guard you we all left something behind yep what what did you leave behind to come out here
1: I left uh, my wife um, and then my five-year-old and three-year-old little boys.
0: They understand why dad's doing what he's doing?
1: They think I'm on a mission. Um, you yeah. know, they don't, they don't understand, like, exactly what I do, but they know daddy's got a mission and he's got to go, and he'll be back in a little bit. So the first day that I was gone, my wife told me that my son, uh, you know, started getting upset at the end of the night, and she said, David, what's wrong? And he's like, well, we haven't made our, our chain. So they make little paper chains for every day that I'm gone. Oh. And then every night they rip one off. So I think there's three links left. So they're not expecting me home tomorrow.
0: Yeah, because we all we all left it for this mission, not knowing when we were going to come back. We right. were going to come back when the capital was safe. Yep. And not before. Right. Yeah. So three links left.
1: Yeah. And so I'm gonna, it'll be a fun little surprise when they... When they wake up tomorrow morning. And
0: here we are sitting in the hangar getting ready to go. Yeah. That's great. Hey, um, how long have you been in the Guard?
1: 17 years. Okay, cool.
0: Um, Is this this what you expected when you joined the Guard?
1: No, no. I didn't really know what to expect. I joined the Guard out of spite for my parents.
0: Oh, delightful.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Great choice. It worked out for me. (laughs) It worked out for me well. Um, It was the best decision I've ever made. Um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't, um, I joined as an 11 Bravo, uh, light infantryman in the army.
0: A light infantryman means you carry a weapon, a backpack, I carry my weapon.
1: And... It, I've got my whole life in my backpack mm-hmm. and I'm going to walk until I meet the enemy and then I'm going to kill the enemy. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something in the guard that I couldn't do in the civilian world. And
0: now what do you do for the guard?
1: And now I'm the international affairs officer. It's
0: quite a quite a leap, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well it's quite a title. Yeah. Um yeah. So yeah, it's super cool though. I mean it like I said, I love doing state active duty stuff. It's it's so cool to see fellow Americans, you know, so appreciative. You know, we say we, we're told thanks for our service, stuff like that, and everyone thinks of us going to Iraq or Afghanistan and something like that. But when we show up in their backyard taking care of a a dike for a flood or, you know, a forest fire or civil unrest, something like this, like you, you see broken hearts Mm -hmm. and, and, and we're there to help mend them together and hold them up and really be the backbone of our community. And that's, it's touching, man. It really is.
0: It's a great part of what we do in the Guard, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. It's
0: fantastic. So... We're going to do a lot of these. We're going to get voices of a lot of the different airmen that, that uh, were on the mission with us for this. Yeah. Some of them are lining up and getting ready to get on the, the first planes. Um, but we're going to yank a couple of them out of line and just ask them about their experience out here, too. So, um, hey, thanks for running a great operation. I think it's <laughs> going to be a good night's sleep when we get home. Yeah, absolutely. Because you had a lot on your shoulders. And uh, uh, thanks for re- leading uh, both soldiers and airmen well on this one.
1: Hey, And thank you. Thank you for the teaching and and the mentoring. So I'm I'm really glad that I got to meet you on this trip.
0: Awesome, it's been my pleasure. Major Tommy Miller of the Minnesota Army National Guard was our ops officer, and we'll be right back. I'll have a couple other uh, airmen to share their experiences. As you heard, so much got accomplished by so many. Reflecting on the contributions of some of our 133rd members is Tech Sergeant Dan Kennedy. He got presented with some great opportunities to lead early on and using his civilian skill sets helped to organize and improve how we did things he highlights one of the key characteristics of the guard and that's our members diverse skills that they bring to the table it helps us to solve problems collaboratively and constantly look to try and make things better more importantly He talks about one of the greatest things we do in the military, and that's taking an oath to protect and defend the Constitution and taking that oath seriously. The director of the Army National Guard, Minnesota's former Adjutant General, John Jensen, stopped by our operations center after the inauguration was completed, and he spoke to us briefly about how directly we were doing just that, protecting the Constitution. He even gave Sergeant Kennedy a coin, which is a military special tradition of giving a personal token of thanks for a job well done or a mission accomplished. Dan will also talk a little bit about the day-to-day parts of his work during the mission and give us a good picture of his service and both his and his family's sacrifice to fulfill our oath. All right, I'm sitting here with Technical Sergeant Dan Kennedy. He's out of our logistics squadron, a fuels guy. Um, and he left his civilian occupation to join us here in D.C. to do the inaugural support. So thanks for joining on, on
2: Beneath the Wing. Thanks, Chief. Yeah. So uh, why did you volunteer to come out here? Well, I think uh, when, when the initial push came out, um, you know, I, I put all the political thoughts and all of that stuff aside and, and really uh, want to be able to bring to the table a, a little bit of humility and a positive attitude can go a long way. That was the big driving force for coming out here for me. Sure. Um, what does it take for a guardsman to,
0: I mean, you mentioned put aside politics. Uh, we all bring our own beliefs to the table when we, when we wake up in the morning. Um, but putting together this big of a group of people from around the country, they all have different political beliefs.
2: Is that a struggle for us when we put a uniform on to do that? I know that there are people that it is a struggle for me personally. I, I don't. Uh, I don't have an issue. Um, you know, setting things aside. I took an oath that part of that uh, that contract that we all signed says that despite uh, despite however deep your beliefs are, we're all uh, on the same team and protecting the Constitution. Yeah. yeah. And I'm in all the years that I've served. This is probably the most
0: direct um, support and defend the Constitution that. I've
2: ever done. Did it feel that way for you? Absolutely, absolutely. I've been on a couple, uh, couple overseas deployments um, in the Middle East, and and a couple TDYs and DFTs and things like that. And you know, throughout all of those things, I've you know, I felt pride in putting on the uniform over the years. Um, but this has been the, the most impactful, and and really, I, I think uh, one highlight to this deployment for me. Um, you know, being all volunteered, everybody that came out here with us put their hand up and said that they wanted to go. I think that the the spirits and the morale of the group, knowing that we all volunteered, nobody was told they had to come out here, um, just really kept spirits high. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was a very unique opportunity. We're part of making history. Um, you know, I I'm very very glad that nothing negative happened while we were here. Um, you know, and it was it was good to be around and. Um, frankly, to be bored for a couple of days and, and, uh, and make sure that safety and, and peace was, uh, was preserved. Um, it's, it's an interesting way to look at DC with the, uh, the barriers and fencing and things like that. And I had a, I had a unique opportunity to put a fair bit of windshield time on um, moving people and, uh, and supplies and food around the city. And um, on the morning of the inauguration, and um, you know, I, I do. I don't know if it's all attributed to the the show of force that we had here, but uh, you know, I I did not see anything that made me feel unsafe or anything like that. It was it was a very uh, calm day in D.C. Even traffic was pretty calm and things like that. They so. had the inner part of the city pretty well blocked off, didn't they? They certainly did. Um, You know, I was was moving a little bit around the inner part of the city and then out as far as Alexandria and uh, FedEx Field was where a lot of our buses were staged. Um, You know, we had bus drivers that were running out of hours on their, uh, you know, on their legal time that they could drive. So we got them out rather than losing buses and putting people off of those, um, um, you know, being able to keep warm and things like that. It wasn't, uh, was not extraordinarily warm out. So it was a nice thing for us to have not only a, a place to sit but uh, with our capacity during this uh, event um, we were a quick response force if something were to happen um, in or around the mall area we were had to be able to get moved in at a moment's notice so having that transportation was important for our yeah. mission yeah um, your mission I mean you did a lot of logistical and, and transport stuff but really
0: that surge force we had a lot of airmen and soldiers that were hanging out in the community waiting to just get called. Um, and you were one of those, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what, we all have memories and we save memories in different ways. And what's a, what's a picture in
2: your mind that you're going to take away from that part of it, just kind of waiting around. We had a pretty, uh, pretty unique position. Um, we were real close to the Washington monument. Um, so, you know, Within eye shot of that, probably only a couple blocks away, was our uh, our staging point or our rally point. Um, so we had, we had a nice view of a lot of the events of the day uh, when the motorcades were going by. You know, Secret Service beefed us up our uh, presence along the fence lines and things like that. Um, you know, we we uh, we didn't have a lot of interaction with the public. Press was allowed in the area that we were but uh, they were pretty few and far between. Being as far as we were from the actual capital, I think uh, you know, there was a little bit of press presence, a very small amount of people out uh, you know, walking their dogs or on a bicycle or something like that, a lot less than I've heard from other rally points or other areas that were out. But uh, you know, just a just picture of, of being able to look out. I've been to D.C. several times in the past and looking out at the mall being completely empty. Nobody moving around, no activity, no joggers or walkers or school groups or anything out there. Um, you know, looking through fence lines to see it was was very interesting to me. Something that, you know, like I said, I've, I've been to the D.C. area several times over the years and, and done the whirlwind tours of the Smithsonian's and the mall and things like that. And, you know, looking past barriers and concertina wire and things like that was uh, was a little bit eerie Feeling at times. Um, you know, we came into it, and, and uh, I was working with a, a group of security forces defenders that uh, a few of them I know pretty well from our state active duty time um, over the summer. And, and, you know, coming in with the, the unique perspective that, the, you know, this is going to go one of two ways either we're going to be really bored, or there's a possibility that's going to go really bad um you know and and i'm like i said earlier i'm glad that we were bored compared to the alternative um you know it was uh it was certainly interesting um you know the the uh the boredom aspect doesn't do well with my personality so at the opportunity to uh to jump on some of those special taskings of moving things around and and helping coordinate the logistics of Moving a hundred or two hundred people and getting food to them and things like that when we were on station for, you know, twelve to twelve to sixteen hours um, a day, um, you know, for for the main inauguration day was uh, was a good opportunity for me to keep busy and and make sure uh, to to spread a little cheer, make sure that the morale stayed high. You know, having a decent meal instead of eating MREs was uh, a good option option for everybody. Yeah, I think every
0: every American was. Very, very glad that we had twenty-five thousand soldiers and airmen that were bored on inauguration day, and then that's great. Um, Absolutely, we raise our right hand, we take an oath, and and sometimes that means we take off and go someplace really quick. How much time did you have to prepare to come
2: out here? Um, I, the the days have blended together a little bit for me at this point, but uh, you know, I think we got the ad hoc notification on Thursday, um, and I was at that point pretty well convinced that I was that I was interested in going. Um, By the time uh, you know I got confirmation that I was on the list um, you know that was probably mid to late day Friday um, you know and and like I said earlier with the state active duty and things like that I've I've kind of had my go bag ready so to speak Uh, you know have a couple uniforms and things all sitting in the corner ready to go. So, um, you know, it, it didn't take a lot of time. There were some delays and the logistics of getting 25,000 people out here obviously resulted in a couple things getting pushed back. But, uh, you know, finding out Friday and then we were wheels up on Monday and on our way out here. It's quite a quick turn. What, what did you leave behind? You, you have a civilian job. Uh, what else did you leave behind to take this on? Sure. Um, you know, I've got a, a civilian job. I've got, uh, you know, employees that count on me to, to keep things going. So that was a little interesting, um, you know, between the management level above me and, and my subordinates below me, getting them at least, uh, you know, kind of clued in on what was to come this week and, and getting those things ready. Outside of that, uh, my family, I've got a wife and two kids. Um, you know, going into it, my daughter is, uh, is 12 years old and over the summer, she was, uh, you know, fairly concerned for my safety and things like that. During Knowing our state active duty. During our state state active duty yep. time, um, you know, worried about things that I, I think probably any 12-year-old girl might be going through some emotional times of their life and things like that. So, um, you know, she took it pretty hard at that time, so we, we kept things pretty mild, um, you know, as far as I had a work trip planned that I canceled um, to come out here, and so we kind of just originally went with the guys that I was still just going to go on a work trip and that that was going to be that. Um, you know, eventually we, you know, I, I don't like to hide things from my family and, and kind of let it out that I was going and that we were going to make sure things stayed safe and, and that we were all going to be well protected and things. So I think, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of people, no shortage of people worrying about what could have happened. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think that that has an impact on family and friends, had a lot of people reaching out, uh, you know, that's a—it's kind of a difficult aspect to, to bring into that is the, you know, the OPSEC of of us being in a location, you know, doing what we said to do and not being able to say, you know, anything much more than, you know, yes, I'm here, maybe in a text message, but other than that, uh, you know, keeping things pretty quiet and, and low on, on what our mission is and all yeah. of those things. Good reason for that, and most people do understand, but that's,
0: it's tough to leave that stuff behind and um you know people leave their spouses, they leave their kids, they leave their jobs and it's tough to balance all that. Um and then there's the catch up when we get home, right? Absolutely. It always is. Uh and hopefully we we hopefully we don't have to come
2: out here and do this type of thing again at in this mass. I'm hoping so. Yeah. I'm hoping that this is not gonna be a normal thing. Yeah. You know, that's uh I've uh with the pandemic and with uh, state active duty, and you know, looking at the potential for more of uh, more incidents around the time of trials and things like that that are coming up for us in our state, um, you know, I, I look at that as kind of a whole lot of new normals. And I I hope that this is one that does not become a new normal. Yeah. You know, wearing a mask kind of pales in comparison to having to, you know, stand armed on a corner. To protect our our capital of the United States, yeah. Um, yeah. I I think that new normal I can get over a little bit more easily than potentially having to come out here on a regular basis to do this. Agreed. So, how long have you been in the National Guard? I have been uh, with the one thirty third Airlift Air, Air Wing at a traditional capacity for fifteen years. Fifteen years going on fifteen years, almost. You joined, fifteen years in May. How about that? Goes yep. by fast, doesn't it? It does. It did does. Did you come straight good. out of high school? Um, I did one year of college, okay. and then uh, and then came in after that, uh, succumbed to the family business. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I
0: understand. I served with your dad, which this is kind of fun to sit down across from you and and uh, get your insights on all of this. Absolutely. Big um, shoes to fill. Oh, uh,
2: you're doing just fine. Is is this is this what you expected when you joined the guard? You know, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, You know, when I first joined the Guard after a year of college and, uh, you know, kind of needing a little something to, you know, the financial benefits were certainly a part of it um, at that time. Um, You know, at that time in the early 2000s, the the things going on in the Middle East were the real deal. Um, You know, there were were people over there making the ultimate sacrifice in my college years. you know, and and that uh, whether that was with our unit or with our state, uh, you know there was there was a flurry of activity. So I was a little bit hesitant. Some of that stuff, uh, you know, kept me, I think, probably right after high school kept me from raising my hand right off the bat there. but uh, you know, seeking a little something more in life and uh, you know, having a kind of the patriotic duty and and like I said earlier, the family business my dad was in. Um, you know, he's an immigrant and, and served over 25 years in the National Guard. And on my mom's side, my grandpa and uh, both uncles were in and served for a long time. So it was it was a big thing for me. And um, I drugged my feet a little bit, but uh, decided it was the right thing for me. And it's a, it's a good place to be. Absolutely. It? Yeah, I'm sitting here in an
0: aircraft hangar at Air, Andrews Air Force Base. And Tech Sergeant Dan Kennedy and I have been reflecting a little bit on our uh, weeks long experience out here protecting the nation's capital. Hey, thanks for taking a little bit of time and giving us your thoughts on this. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Chief, I appreciate it. Absolutely. I hope you've enjoyed the first in our two-part series of Beneath the Wing, Voices from DC. In part two, you'll hear from two of our younger members of the wing and get their perspective on the mission we just accomplished.